Before we enter the resort, Natasha introduces me to her seven miniature ponies. Do, re, mi, fa, so, la, ti. And Sarah's eyes got real big and she said, Mark Gunnery? And I said, yeah, Mark Gunnery. And she said, did you know that I have a box full of your journals at my house? Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Stoop Storytelling Series podcast. I'm Jessica Hankin. And I'm Laura Wexler. And this week on the podcast, two stories of folks who are dazed and confused by an unexpected turn of events. Before we get started, we want to thank our uh, podcast sponsors, MEND, who uh, were named the best place to get poked. They do amazing acupuncture, and I think now they do some body work and other things in beautifully decorated places throughout the Baltimore area. So look them up. You can get some reasonably priced acupuncture, which, hey, who doesn't need that? So this first story is by Tommy Jacobs. Um, who actually lives on Jessica's street. What's up, DP? <laughs> yeah. Is that how you found her? Is that how you, she pitched the story? Yeah. Yes, she sure did. Because we just incidentally see each other when we're, you know, walking by. Walking going, your dogs. Going to the grocery store, going to the library. Deep Dean. It's a whole village. Takes a village. So Tommy is a massage therapist and a yoga teacher here in Baltimore. And this story is about a chain of events that, that happened to her um, when she was a child. Take a listen. October 10th, 1980, I turned two. I turned two on the airplane from Israel to Baltimore. We were immigrating. My father was from Baltimore and his visa was up. So we had to come back to be with him. By the time I turned three, my mom left my dad, and we were on our own. We didn't speak English. We didn't have any family here. We didn't have any money. And so we had a hard time. Jewish Family Services helped us out a lot. They provided us with temporary housing and food, bags of food. I remember some of my favorites, fruity pebbles and chocolate pudding. So good. Around the age of five, we landed at the Savoy Plaza Apartments off of Liberty Road. Far from fancy, but it was ours, and I could make all the noise I wanted because it was a first-floor apartment. We had a community pool. And that summer, my mom met David. David was the lifeguard. David was 18. My mom was 25. They fell in love. David soon became the live-in boyfriend. He was so much fun. He taught me how to roller skate in that first floor apartment. He would cover himself up in all these pads and have these punching boxing gloves and let me just like punch him. It was great. He taught me how to use chopsticks and how to flare my nostrils. You see that? my love for sushi he even saved my life that time I dove into the deep end with a fistful of gummy bears in my mouth and those gummy bears got lodged in my throat and he had to give me the Heimlich maneuver like actually saved my life 
David was a whole lot more present than my own dad, and we really had a very special bond. So I was having a really hard time at school. Fast forward just a little bit. I was having a really hard time at school. I was at a really conservative Jewish day school called Beth the Villa. I was in the third grade, very ADHD. My mother didn't believe in medication. And uh, I'm there. Hold on. Just a second. (laughs) I was having a really hard time, and... um, they, I was on a full scholarship, and so they had very little tolerance for me and my inability to sit slash stand still. So they asked me to leave. And so a lot of things changed around this time. I got kicked out of school, and I had to switch from a private school to a public school. And I remember being so far behind. We had to move because also my grandparents and my aunt They were also immigrating from Israel, and they were moving in with us, so we had to get a bigger place. They didn't speak English, so I had to learn Russian very quickly. And my Aunt Ella, who had moved in with us, she was diagnosed with terminal cancer, so we spent so much time at the hospital. It was a lot of change. And also, my mom and David got engaged. So they were planning a wedding. Wedding's coming up in two months, right? And my mom says to me, you're going to go stay with my friend Natasha in Vienna, Virginia. I didn't know who Natasha was or why I was going. So I show up to Natasha's house. And if you can imagine, it's not really a house. It's more of like a resort. It's really the biggest house I've ever seen in my life. Huge property. And Natasha, imagine Jaja Gabor. Only she's like, she's covered in only Russian, but she's like covered in leopard and rings on every finger and the biggest bleach blonde beehive that doesn't really move. (laughs) And so much perfume. Before we enter the resort, Natasha introduces me to her seven miniature ponies. Do, re, mi, fa, so, la, ti. <laughs> she told me I could have one. I don't remember which one I chose. She was very disappointed in my clothing, so we went shopping. She bought me all new dresses and itchy white pantyhose. We had a driver. Our driver took us to church every day. I'm Jewish. (laughs) It was cold, so she put me in one of her fur coats. So strange. Uh, I was only there for two weeks, but it felt like forever because I really didn't know why I was there, and I really just wanted to go home. I remember being really stressed out about being so far behind in school and missing two weeks. So I get home. And David, uh, he's in the basement, and he asks me to come downstairs. And he's in the corner of the basement crying. And he asks me to come sit with him. And so I do. And he tells me he's leaving. 
And so we cry, and I fall asleep, and in the morning he leaves. So what happened? Well, what happened was my mom went to a dinner party a few weeks prior and met Vladimir. And she, they hit it off, and she thought he might be a better fit. He spoke Russian, he wanted to have kids, they were the same age, but she wasn't sure, so she had to go find out. So she had to go to Russia. Oh, by the way, he lived in Russia. So she had to go to Russia to go find out, to spend a significant amount of time with him, you know, two weeks, to go find out if he was a better suitor. Turns out he was. So in those two months that my mom's planning a wedding to David, who I lived with for six years, she didn't marry David. She married Vladimir, a stranger. Didn't see that coming. So we moved again, and I switched schools again, and a year later, my baby brother was born. And at this point, I'm 13 and hate most things. So I decided that I should call my dad. Desperate for some sort of support and connection, I called, and I was like, hey, dad. I could really use a dad. And his words were, you're a chapter in my book, and I've turned the page. Ouch, right? I know. Yeah. Um, those words have really haunted me my entire life. And it's not the end of the story. Just a chapter, right? It's just a part. Because I've done a lot of work, a lot of therapy, and freaking like decades of yoga. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> and I've learned and I've learned a lot of things. But some of the things I've learned are how to adapt and how to be resilient. And from my mom, I've learned that sometimes you have to follow your heart and trust. Because it turns out she made the right choice. She chose the right guy. Because my mom and my stepdad, yeah, same guy, Vladimir, they're here. They've been married 30 plus years. <laughs> and my baby brother, who's having his wedding next week. <laughs> okay, okay, but it's not about them. <laughs> It's really interesting that I get to tell this story right now. It's really interesting that over the last year, I've gotten to process this story, like now in my life, because I have a 10-year-old fourth grader at home. And to get to see the world through his eyes, <laughs> he knows. He knows that my job in this world is to protect him. And that he is my entire book. Thanks, guys. <laughs> I love that story. And what was so fun was 
when she showed me the pictures of that time in her life, um, you know, because she's my neighbor. So I got to see a picture of little Tommy in this like crazy fur coat um, with, with the woman uh, who oh my God. also had- did, a- she have any, did she have any pictures of the miniature ponies? No, the, uh, there were do re mi fa so. They, yeah. I don't think, I didn't see those pictures. Okay. Do you remember when Tommy shared her story that there was a person sitting in the front row that had like a paper taped on to their chest? Mm-hmm. And it, do you remember what it said? It was the first line of her story. Uh, so yeah. That she wouldn't forget it. She was so nervous. Yeah. Oh my gosh, she was so nervous. I thought, um, I thought that was a wonderful, if not totally stoop approved tactic of me strong for her to do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Before we get on to the next story, we want to thank Baltimore Magazine. You can find them on the newsstand and at baltimoremagazine.com. Okay. So, Mark Gunnery is. Um, gosh, he's just. It's just such a nice, good guy. Um, he works currently for the Jewish Museum of, is it Maryland, Laura? Jewish, Jewish Museum of Maryland, yep. And Which is located in Baltimore City in a beautiful old um, synagogue. And he's uh, worked for a time in radio production. Um, he's just a, a creative. Um, he's earnest. He's thoughtful. And he took a kind of, it was a vulnerable leap of faith to share the following story with our audience who had his back the entire way. Take a listen. So when I was six years old, my parents got me my first journal and they said I could write whatever I wanted in there. So I wrote about my friends, my family, my little enemies when I was six, my school, my teachers. And um, when I finished writing in it, they got me a new one. And ever since then, I've been keeping a journal. And when I finish writing in a journal, I'll just like put it in a box that's in my basement. And the box says, keep journals, do not donate. With the idea being like, if I move somewhere, Um, and I'm donating clothes to Goodwill or something that I shouldn't donate accidentally a box of journals. So, you know, stuff that I've written has changed over the years. In middle school, I wrote a lot of bad poetry. In high school, I wrote, wrote a lot about my social life and about going on dates and going to parties. And then when I got to college, I started reading the tarot cards. So I started writing um, my tarot readings in there. And I would write letters to people that I would decide against sending. So I wouldn't, I would leave them in there. And I would write songs that like were bad. So I wouldn't perform them. So I'd leave them in there. And basically, it's a lot of stuff that you don't want people to ever read. So... A few years ago, I was at the Creative Alliance at Hot Bits, which is a great queer porn film festival that happens every couple years um, at Creative Alliance. And uh, during intermission, I went out into the lobby to get a drink and to schmooze, and I ran into my friend Olivia, who I haven't seen in like six, seven years. And I said, Olivia, what is going on? And they uh, introduced me to their friend Sarah, and, and they said... Uh, Sarah, this is Mark. This is Mark Gunnery. And Sarah's eyes got real big, and she said, Mark Gunnery? 
And I said, yeah, Mark Gunnery. And she said, did you know that I have a box full of your journals at my house? <laughs> and I said, no, I did not know that. And I got very... <laughs> I got, I got embarrassed, and she told me that she found them once when she was cleaning um, in her house. She found this box of journals, and she started reading them. And, um, and yeah, she said I, th- I seemed like a nice young kid, and would I like my journals back? And I said, yeah. So I made plans to go get them in um, a couple of days. And Sarah lived at a place called The Compound. Does anyone know The Compound? Yeah? Has anyone been to The Compound? Did you read my journals at the compound? Okay. Because, so, so the compound is uh, an industrial, an old industrial space in East Baltimore that was converted into um, housing and artist studios and uh, performance spaces. And they've got like a radical lending library there. And I've been there like a bunch of times for events and um, they have kind of a high turnover of renters so I knew people who would live there at different times so I, I've been there like a bunch but I never remember bringing like a box of journals and leaving them there um, so I didn't know how I l- left them there but like for some context this isn't the first time this has happened to me So maybe like 10 years ago, I was in Portland, Oregon, having like a lovely day, and um, I ended up losing my journal, and I didn't know where it was. And then years later, um, someone from a, a zine and comic library in Portland, a librarian, emailed me and said, um... We found your journal shelved with um, some comics, uh, but it wasn't like in the catalog, right? So uh, I don't know if it's supposed to be there. Would you like us to send it back? I said, I would very much like you to send it back. So I went to the compound, and when I saw the box, I immediately knew what had happened. So it was the box that said, keep journals, do not donate. And I remembered that my old roommate was uh, collecting books to donate to the library at the compound and must have seen the box that says, keep journals, do not donate, and, and donated them. <laughs> so so Sarah, Sarah explained that she was like, sorry to read my journals, but she was really like into them and was really like when she realized the same person had written all of them she like thought it was sort of this like Amelie type of thing where like this cool little like magical like thing happened to her where she got all these journals and she like related to me we were born around the same time we were both Jewish kids from the suburbs who liked folk punk and like we like she was vibing and and, and I was when when she gave them back you know I I felt a little well okay In Sarah's defense, uh, her friend Olivia, uh, when she found out that, uh, when they found out that my journals were there, said to Sarah, oh, I know Mark, and texted me, but have my number from like seven or eight years ago. So I never got it. But, so I got these journals back. I counted them. There was 44 of them, uh, ranging in the age from like 15 to 34. Um, So that was a little more than just my childhood journals. That was my... Saturn return journals. That was all kinds of stuff. So 
I was like a little bit disturbed because like um, I knew a lot of people who had lived there and I was like, okay, people who knew me may have read these and people who are one degree separated in like the Baltimore like queer weirdo art scene had like read them and I was like, okay, this is like whatever. But I also felt like uh, really happy to get them back and like it was a real gift to to get them back from the cosmos so I was happy and and someone recently asked me if this experience changed how I write in my journal and I thought about it and it hadn't really like I still write honestly and talk about what I'm doing and write people letters that I don't send and and do all these things and um, you know I write in there like Nobody's going to read it, but I know that somebody might read it. And, but, but I do one thing differently. Um, now, the very first thing I do when I get a new journal is I open it up. And on the inside cover, I write my name, I write my phone number, and I write my email address. And that's so if I lose it, whoever finds it can find me. And if they read it while I'm on my way to get it, like that's fine by me. love this story because it's just so I could just really see these journals in a box and I could really imagine just people like coming across them and then being like huh and then just settling in to read his journals in their bed or whatever you know <laughs> I mean it's so what happens in your 20s like when you have itinerant life like that and you kind of have commune life like that and yeah. artist life like that like I really don't think anyone meant him any harm, but boy, oh boy, what a what an awkward open secret, you know? Um. <laughs> what I also love is that, and I remember saying to this to him at the coaching session, like, hey, so did this kind of put you off of keeping journals since you had not only this experience, but a previous experience where you left a journal somewhere and they sent it back to you. Um, <laughs> And he said, no. And I was like, dang, that's like idealism. That's like purity, you know? So the younger generation, they're better well, than us. What can I say? They really are. Yeah. Okay. Anyway. What makes us, this current generation, just chug, chug along is uh, helped by the following sponsor, which is the Wine Source. Uh, we love them and we want to thank them for their continued unwavering support of the Stoop Storytelling Series podcast located in Hamden. They're the best place to go to get your wine, beer, cheeses, coffee, whatever you need. Thank you to Maureen Harvey for producing and to y'all for listening. You can find us at stoopstorytelling.com. If you want to learn about our upcoming shows or listen to stories, we will be back soon with more stories from the stoop.